you to know this, and I want you to be thinking about doing this this week. We're calling it On the Bounce because we're going to encourage you today to catch the, somebody around you on the bounce. And here's what I mean by that. If you looked, if you, I bet you it wouldn't take long for you to think about the people that are around you to think about somebody who is, in a sense, falling or failing, um, going through something right now that's difficult and possibly devastating, possibly something they might not get back up from. And so as they're falling, I want you to, if, you know, like as they fall, I want you to catch them on the bouts. It could be a bad breakup. It could be losing a job. It could be broken dreams. It could be a moral failure of some kind. I want you to think about who is around you that is bouncing or about to bounce, about to hit maybe, and I want you to catch them on the bounce. We're in this series. This is the last part of uh, the, the fifth and final week of a series called Love Where You Live, and this is one of my favorite. We've done this series before. We'll probably do it in the future again because it's such a big part of who we are as a church. But Love Where You Live, in essence, is a series that's an invitation for you and to me to look at the people around us, the, 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 pla- the place that we work, the place that we live differently. Like we all, uh, how, we all enjoy where we live. Colorado's a great place to be. Evergreen's fantastic. The mountains are awesome. And, and I think that God wants us to enjoy where we live, but I also think, especially if you're a God follower, that, that he wants, he, he looks at where you live you know, the, the, our, your apartment or the house that you leased or bought. And he says, oh, I'm so glad that you're there because he's there and, and, and he could really use a guy like you. Or I'm so glad that you're, you, you're working where you're working because you'll be next to her and she really needs someone right now. Like what if, what if, what if God looked at it that way and what if we had that perspective ourselves. It would change things. It would change the way that we look at our houses. It would t- change the way we look at our jobs. And so we, we de- what we said in the beginning is love where you live is an invitation to look at your location, vocation, vacation, and donation differently. To look at your location, where you live, your vocation, where you work, your vacation, that is not your PTO, but what do you do with your time? What do you enjoy doing on a regular basis? And how can you use that to connect to people around you, and then of course your donation, the stuff and the resources that you have. And we started off the very first week, I said, before I ask you to love and, and go out and love, we have to start with the basics and the fundamentals, and we called that week, this is a football. And so, do you see what I'm doing here? I started with a football, and we're now we're ending with a football. It just was an accident. But, uh, the, the fo- you know, this is a football. The basics of what we believe, if you are a Christian, is you are loved. And that doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. Like Christians believe that we are loved. We are children of God. We are worthwhile. We are valuable. And you have to understand that. Like if you don't know that, it's not a good thing to try and go love other people if you don't feel loved yourself. So the first thing that we need to do is come and encounter that, that love, the love of God, so that we can go and love others. And that was how we started. And then we talked about different ways to address the mess, to look for lonely people, to give something away. Those were the weeks that followed. And then finally, this week, like, just as we, we wanted the series to change the way that we look at the things around us and the places we go differently, today, as we end Love Where You Live, I want us to look at, f- the, a goal for today is I want us to look at failure differently. I want us to see 
failure, our own and others in a different light. Um, here's, here, I want to make a point about failure, and this might seem obvious, but failure is inevitable. It's just, it's just part, like, fail, the truth is you have failure in the past, and you will have epic fails in the future, all of us. And I know at the danger, like, I was like, do I even make this point? It's so obvious. But I, I said, no, I, I want to make this point. I want to put that in the front because we need to know that, that this is inevitable because if we don't realize, if we get far away from that, the, the thing is we don't like to think about failure. We're so afraid of it. We don't like to think about it. And what happens is when we don't think about it, then it becomes not normal. And, and when, we, when we recognize that failure is inevitable, it makes it just a little bit more normal. And then it changes our, re- it, it, when we make it a little more normal, it allows us to change our response to people when they fail. It's not a, it's not a big deal, because guess what? guess what you and I do when we hear about someone failing? What do we do? Yeah, thank you, we step back. Because it's like, I, I don't want to get any of that on me. And then we start to think to ourselves, well, I would never do something like that. And we start to defend and justify, right? Like, like that's just kind of what goes on in our brains. I don't think that's all bad, but it's, we have to recognize that's in us. But we have to also recognize that failure is inevitable. So when people fail around us, the way we should look at it is it's just their day. It's just their turn. It's no different than you and me. Yeah, sure, it may look different because they're failing in a way, or they're failing in finances, and you never failed in finances, or they're failing in relationships, and you've never had a divorce, whatever, you could fill in the blank. Sure, there's all sorts of, what, but here's the thing, there's all sorts of different types of failure. Failure comes in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Some are small, some are big. Some are super public, and some of them we hide for the rest of our lives. Some of them are intentional, some of them are accidental. Some of them we can laugh at now, haha, isn't that so funny? Like, it'd be kind of fun to pass around the microphone and, and share some of our epic fails. And then there's, for each of us, we have epic fails we would never want to say in front of anybody else. And in the, but here's the point, in the end, it's just failure. It's just, and, and when somebody fails around us, we have to remind ourselves it's just their turn. It's just their day. And I want to encourage us today not to take a step back, but to take a step towards them. Because when we recognize that failure is inevitable, it makes it just a little more normal. Um, and if I, if, if I do my job right today, hopefully we all have a kind of a different posture, different mindset towards failure, and we might be more open to taking a step towards someone. And here's the thing. In fact, let's just do this. Take a couple seconds. Some of you already know, like you can think of somebody in your life because because this this week happened, right? And you got the phone call, you got the text, or you saw on Facebook or whatever. It's real life. But I think it would be good for each of us not to leave this point in time in the sermon right now without having someone in mind. Take seriously. Think about it. Who is it? Who's on the bounce? Who's falling right now? Who's failing right now? And are you willing to take a step towards them and catch them on the bounce? Because there's a lot at stake. I'm reading a book right now by a, name, a guy named Bob Goff, um, who's a, he's a, a speaker and a writer, really interesting guy. And he wanted to learn how to skydive 
um, so he, um, so that he could do it with his son. His son was in the skydiving, so he's like, I'm going to learn how to skydive. During the training, the instructor told him that in skydiving, if you, if your parachute does not deploy and you plummet to the ground, you don't actually die on impact. All of your bones and things break, and then you bounce, and it's the second impact that actually kills you, which is just horrible. Like, it's just a horrible thing to think about. Um, but he wrote in his book, he's like, what is true in skydiving is true in our lives as well. It's not usually the initial failure that takes any of us out. It's the bounce. You know? It's after the breakup or the job or the bankruptcy or whatever. It's the woundedness that follows. The jadedness that develops over time the distortion of reality of who we can trust and who we can't trust because of what happened, right? That's what kills, that's what takes most of us out. Why? We're, we're pretty strong. That initial impact is as devastating as it is, hurts. But I think how most of us get killed is a slow death of a thousand cuts afterwards. The silence that follows, the distance that people give us, the, the, the polite indifference. And that's why it's so important for us to take a step forward when somebody else fails. Um, as we're thinking about this, I want us to look at a time where Jesus did this. He took a step forward um, and caught someone on the bounce. It's recorded uh, by one of Jesus' followers. His name's John, um, and it's, it's in chapter 8. We'll get there in a second. But um, at this point in time in, in John chapter 8, Jesus has done enough things and said enough things, like he's, he's uh, done some miracles, he's taught some pretty cool stuff, that there's a, a whole bunch of people, there's some people who are following him and really want to be near him anytime he's willing to be near them and, and teach and, and talk. Um, and then there's also a group of people that, that are really mad at him as well um, because one of, John records, you know, one of the things Jesus seemed to, um, one of the things they held against him is, they, it says in John 5, that he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And that was, in their mind, blasphemy and a big deal. And it was, that is a big deal um, to call yourself equal with God. And, and so they, they wanted to get rid of him. So that, this is the best backstory in, in John chapter 8. We pick up in verse 2. It says this, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. So, yeah, like normal, Jesus is, you know, shows up somewhere. People find out where he is. This time he's in the temple courts and he starts to, to teach. Verse 3, The teachers of the law... And the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, uh, the law of Moses commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And then John makes it very clear. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Okay, so you get the scene? Jesus is, I mean, it's, it's seen actually not maybe all that different than what we're doing right now. Like, 
a, a rabbi or a teacher was sitting down and talking to people about a parable or Isaiah or something, we don't know what, and then all of a sudden there's a commotion in the back, and in, in comes you know, some, some gentleman dragging in a woman, and they put her and they stand her in the front, and they make her stand in the front, um, stand before the group, and they say, Jesus, what do you think we should do with this woman? And I want to tell the, the scene from the perspective of the religious rulers, the woman, the people, and then, of course, Jesus himself. From the perspective of the re- religious rulers, they fe- I, I guarantee they felt like they nailed it. They, said, they were saying, we got him. There is no way out of this one. Like, there's nothing to heal. He can't heal her. Like, this is not a woman who needs healing. There's nothing he can, he, like, we, he, we have got him. They're, they're high-fiving. And it was, honestly, it was a very strategic move because if Jesus says yes, yes, we should stone her, what he's doing, and this, might, this isn't, like, necessarily, um, you might not see it this way or know it this way, but he, what he would do if he said, let's stone this woman, is he's moving himself into the political realm. It's a, it's a justice thing at that point in time. And he's saying, I have the authority to, to pardon somebody or you know, to, like, like, to have somebody stoned, killed. And that would be a good thing for the religious leaders because honestly, Jesus, if he did that, he might actually be, Rome might have a really big problem with that. They're like, what do you think you have the authority to do that? And they might actually get rid of him for them. That would be perfect. And at, at the very least, if he said yes to stoning this woman, people would be confused. It would undermine his message everywhere he went. Well, yeah, he heals person, people, but like, did you hear about that? So they're like, this is perfect. And if he says no, that's almost better. I think that's actually what they were hoping for. Because it had extreme, that, the yes had political r- ramifications. This, if he said no, that has religious implications. Because they could say to him, oh, Jesus, um, so do you hate Moses every day or only when you're in the temple? You know, like they could, they could just start throwing that at him like, oh, Jesus doesn't follow Moses. He's not a godly man. And they could truly, truly undermine him there. So it was a very strategic move and it was also very public. There's no, it's not this little, I mean, all eyes are on, are, are on, on this scenario and that's, that's what's happening. They're high-fiving each other. That's the pers- their perspective. Let's talk about the woman. L- think of this phrase. They made her stand before the group. Just, just let that sink in. Like, think of something that you are, you, a failure in the past. Maybe you got caught. And the shame that you felt when you're, pa- you know, and it was just your parents, or it was just your spouse, or it was just a couple friends. Can you imagine having an assembly, you're standing before a group. See, this is, this, is at, this, is, this is her worst moment. This is her, this is her lowest moment. This is her biggest bounce. It has to be. I mean, we don't know the rest of her story, but it, can it get worse than that? She's ashamed. She's embarrassed. And then let's talk about the crowd. Because again, Jesus is there. And and it says all over the Gospels that Jesus, that people pressed up against Jesus just to to touch him, to be him, to to near him, to see him, right? So imagine he's at the temple courts and it's, it's a packed house. And there's people right at his feet. And then all of a sudden... What do you think the crowd did as soon as she came, you know, and they, they came and declared what this woman had done? What do you suppose the crowd did? They took a step back, right? As you and I would do as well. 
Here's Jesus' perspective. I think Jesus said, 50 points! <laughs> and then took a step forward. Let's find out. In fact, we're going to find out this is what he does. And it, it, the reason why he does what he's about to do is, is pretty simple. He looks at failure the way, differently than you and I typically do. He knows this is just her day. This is just her day. We'll see that here in a second. He knows that the parachute didn't open, and she just bounced really, really, really hard. And Jesus has every intention of catching her. But first he does something really strange. Check this out. Verse uh, 8, or verse 6. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Why? I have absolutely no idea. Actually, this happens a lot. There's a lot of things that Jesus does in the Gospels that I'm like, I don't get that. I don't, I don't know why he did that. I'm like, what did he write? And I, I, I don't know about you. I grew up in the church, and there was all sorts of guesses as to what Jesus was writing in the sand. Maybe he was writing the Ten Commandments. One of the most interesting ones I've ever heard was maybe he was writing down the sins of the Pharisees. <laughs> it's cool to think about, but it honestly doesn't matter. John either didn't know what he wrote or didn't feel like he needed to tell us what he wrote. Because honestly, what Jesus wrote and why Jesus was doing this really wasn't all that important. What was important was, and this is my theory, what was important was it took the eyes off of her. There she is. She just, this is the, the worst moment of her life. And the, the, the most powerful man that she knows comes and stands in the vicinity of her and just does something weird. You know? It worked. All the eyes shifted from her to him. And it was the, the, the first step of him catching her on the bounce. Verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, like, Jesus, come on, answer the question. Don't do your taxes or whatever you're doing right now. He straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Genius response. <laughs> it says, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. <laughs> went back to balancing his checkbook. <laughs> like just, who, what, who knows? Let anyone who is without sin be the first, or, you know, throw, throw the first stone at her. Remember, he's, in a sense, he's saying, remember guys, remember, before you get all indignant, before you say, oh, I, I would never do something like that, remember, this is just her day. This is just uh, her day and, and you have had yours you are not without sin sure maybe you haven't committed adultery but remember failures come in all different shapes and sizes some are big some are small some are accidental some are intentional some of them are super public some of them are not but in the end they're just failure in the end guys remember sin is sin if any of you is without sin let them be the first one to throw a stone. And this next verse is so cool. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. And this is a fantastic detail that John includes. The older ones first. 
until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. The older ones first, and here's why. Because being older doesn't make you better at life. (laughs) You know what I mean? Honestly, being older just gives you more time to fail (laughs) and gives you more time to realize your failures. So one by one, they left, starting the oldest first. Isn't that interesting? Jesus straightened up and asked her, this is verse 10, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. That was it. That was it. And see, I think Jesus did two things on that day. The first thing is he stood up for the woman. The second thing is he stood with the woman. Right? He stood up for the woman. And because of he stood up for her, you know, like he, he, he took the attention off of her and then, and then said something that got her accusers to go away, he saved her life. Literally, like her life was in danger based on what Jesus was about to say. And based on, and with what Jesus said, her life was saved. That's because he stood up for her. And there are times where you and I will have to stand up for somebody. Like, that's true. Like, we will get chances in our lives to stand up for somebody and, in a sense, save them. Probably not quite like this. That's the first thing that Jesus did. But the second thing, not only did Jesus stand up for her, he stood with her. And that's what I want to focus on today. Jesus stood with her when everybody else left. He, he, he caught her on the bounce. Um, and because he did that, he saved her life literally by standing up for her. He, sta- he saved her, her life emotionally by standing with her. By, by doing things in such a way, by coming alongside of her to where in the future, yes, she uh, guaranteed, even though this was an, a, an unbelievable encounter with Jesus that she probably remembered for the rest of her life, it probably was still the single worst day of her life for the rest of her life, right? But what Jesus did by standing with her and saying just a few words is made sure, he ensured that the woundedness, the jadedness, the distortion of reality that often falls, right? right? It's not the initial impact that kills us. It's the 10,000 little cuts afterwards that we bleed out from. And Jesus gave her a fighting chance emotionally. He was with her in such a way that she might not be as wounded, as jaded. She might be able to trust people in the future because... In that moment, what he did, the, I don't, we can look at the words, we'll look at the words again here in a second, but the words, I think, are not as important as, as the fact that he was with her then. And, and when he was with her, what he was explaining to her was, this is a football. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. You, you, you have fallen hard. This, but you are worthwhile. You are worth being with. You are worth sticking up for. 
you are worth fighting for. And guys, can we just shoot straight that in our, mo- our lowest moments, that's what we're grasping for. That's what we're longing to know. Am I still worthwhile? Am I still worthy? Am I still worth loving? And Jesus would say the answer is yes. And that was it. He caught her on the bounce. And see, I think it's important to note, we did this earlier in the series with Zacchaeus, with Jesus, if you're familiar with the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus calling him down from the tree and spending time with him. At the end of that story, I said to you, listen, what I love about this story is you can do this. No miracles, no fancy preaching, no, like, like all these things that were like, man, I, I, I don't know how to do that. He just had lunch with the guy. He invited himself over to his house. And it made all the difference in the world. Same thing with this story here. Jesus was just simply with somebody in their lowest moment. When they were bouncing, he reached in and he caught them. And it's important. See, all, all I'm try- what I'm trying to say is catching people, it's a lot simpler than we would think. It's just spending time with them. Many times the best way to catch somebody is to simply be with them when nobody else is doing what it takes to step forward, right, when everybody has taken a step back. And you don't have to have all the right answers. And, and you, here's what you, catching people doesn't mean teaching people, okay? Like, let's, just, let's just call that out. Here's the deal. They don't need to be taught. <laughs> they, they're learning <laughs> through the, the negative experience. They're learning lots. Let's make sure they're not doing it alone. Let's make sure that as they're learning, they know they're worthwhile. They're loved. They're valuable. They're worth fighting for. They're worth sticking up for. Let's make sure that they're not crushed by the silence that follows the distance that people will naturally just kind of step away, the polite indifference that people might have towards them. Let's make sure that doesn't kill them. Simple. You know what catching people on the bounce looks like? There's a couple stories. A few years back, I, I had a friend. I heard about a, he got in trouble with the law, and it, it was maybe life-defining. And as soon as I heard that, I heard it on like a Tuesday. I made plans for Wednesday to go and see him, and he lived like four hours away. And so I literally hopped in the car the next morning, and I drove four hours to have lunch with him for one hour, and then I drove four hours back. Because... This is a guy who's a friend of mine who has heart, and I wanted to make sure he didn't lose heart. I told him that, and I left. You know, you know what this looks like? You know what catching people on the bounce looks like? Some of you are familiar with John Bowsman, who's one of our, our communicators here at CLC. About a year and a half ago, in 2017, he actually got fired from his job suddenly. And his friends... What they did was, a couple days later, they threw a party for him. Because he lost his job. Like, they, they, they embraced it. <laughs> and they threw a party for him. It wasn't his birthday. He didn't win an award. No, he lost his job. They threw a party for him to, to celebrate him, to make sure that he knew that this wasn't going to define him. Isn't that a great idea? We need to celebrate, we need to celebrate birthdays and whatever else, promotions, but 
Honestly, don't we need to be celebrated most when we're demoted? <laughs> See, it, it makes us, we have to think differently. Here's another story. Um, this is from, from Bob Goff. Remember this, when, when um, there was a, in Hawaii, when there was that emergency alert sent out earlier this year that a ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii seek immediate shelter, this is not a drill. Do you remember that? You remember, if you remember that, you remember that actually wasn't what was happening. Literally, somebody hit the wrong button. And that, that guy got fired <laughs> for obvious reasons, you know, because this went out to, like, all of the people on the big island, I think. Um, just a, a huge mishap, right? Bob Goff was, uh, the last couple of weeks I heard him, uh, like, a video, I was watching a video of him speaking. He found out who that guy was and sent him a letter offering him a job. <laughs> and his ex- explanation was, can it get any worse? I mean, like, like I, I know, like, like, it's only uphill, it's only good things from here, right? And he also said, he's like, that guy's going to work his tail off. <laughs> you know, like, hey, hey, we need to look at failure differently. We need to look at our own failures differently. We need to look at other people's failures differently and act differently. What if we did that? What souls might be spared? What suicide might be stopped? What horrible atrocities, every time a horrible atrocity happens, I think to myself, one conversation might have changed that. One person reaching out to that hurting person could have changed that potentially. It's that simple. When we catch people on the bounce, it saves them. It means, see, all, all it means is, all it means is, and you can do this, it, it, what it means is lifting people up that have fallen down along the way and pointing them back to the Father without pointing a bony finger at them. Look at what Jesus did. He, he, he point, notice that what Jesus said here, I'll just read it, don't worry about going back to it. Women, where are they? Who, who Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. He pointed out, what you have done is wrong. But he didn't do it in such a way that was like this. He did it in such a way that was like this. Not you, you horrible failure. You child of God. This is the way back to the Father. And you, look at me, everybody look at me. You can do this. The truth is, and the, the, the God-honest truth is, there are people in your location, vocation, vacation, who desperately need it. Who lives almost depend on it. People who are one bounce away from being defined by their failure. And you can do something about that. <sighs> That's amazing. And if you want to be, if you, if you are here this morning, you consider yourself a Jesus follower. If you want to be like Jesus, here's our simple job. And it's our simple and courageous job. Catch people on the bounce. When they fall hard, run towards them. Don't step back. Run towards them and embrace them harder than their fall. It's that simple. No magic. No miracles needed. 
just guts. Because that's really what it's about. It takes guts. I, I won't, as, as, as simple as I'm trying to make this sound, I, I want us to see it as simple. I'm not belittling the fact that it's going to take courage. So what? Come on. You can do courageous things. I think God desperately longs for us to do daring things for other people. You can do this. I want to close this way. I, I, there are some of us in the room that um, as I'm talking about this, I'm saying you can do it, you can do it. You're, having, you're, you're hurting so badly be, because you, uh, you're hurting so badly that when I say the idea of looking at, for somebody else and, and looking to care for somebody else, it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't even seem possible to you. And if that's you this morning, can I just say something here? Can I say you can have the football? This is a football. You are loved. Honestly, honestly, like, like if, if you're hurting really bad and you're, and, and the problem with this is like as I'm talking about loving other people and you're like, I can't even think about other people, that makes you hurt more, right? It's this vicious cycle. Can I just, can I just take you off the hook this morning and say don't worry about any of that? And take a step towards what I'm about to say. You are loved. You are valuable. And you are not defined by your failures. The Bible makes it clear that if we are in Christ, that if we accept his gift, nothing can separate us from him. No height, no death, no, no life. No, it, like there's this big list that Paul does. I probably should have looked at before we were talking about this, but <laughs> nothing can separate us from the love of God, including your failures. This is a football. You are loved. And if that's hard for, if, if, if your heart is longing to hear this, don't hear anything else, else today. Don't, don't worry about doing anything. Just come into the idea that God loves you so dearly. There's probably, there's another group of people, there are potentially another group of us here in the room, and that is we have failures in our lives that we've kept secrets. And as I was preparing this, I was like, I can't just talk about like catching people on the bounce because some people are bouncing and nobody knows it. Some of us are bouncing and nobody knows it. And it's, guys, it's impossible for someone to catch you if they don't know what's going on, Right? And can I just encourage you that, like, and this is whether you're a Christian or not, if you have things in your past, failures that you've tried and worked really hard to hide, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to let someone know. It gives them the opportunity to catch you on the bounce before that bounce defines you. Would you willing, and, and guys, that's going to take the most courage, I know, but it's so worth it. Talk to somebody. Let that out. Let it out in the open. And if you don't know who that somebody is, you don't know someone you can trust, please call me. I, I would be happy. I'd be honored to sit with you in that. In fact, I, I'll probably share some of my own. I'll share some of my own failures as you share yours. Let's not be defined by this. We don't need to be because as Christians, we believe that God sent his sons to catch us on the bounce. 
that, his, that, that Jesus' death on the cross, he doesn't condemn us. He doesn't need to because of what he did on the cross. And he's able to catch us on the bounce. If you have never expressed that, if you've never accepted that, if you can't think of a time in your life where you've accepted that gift, I pray, I, I plead with you today, accept it. Don't leave today without accepting that gift. It's so liberta- liberating. It's the path to life. Can I say a prayer? Let, let, me, let me close this in prayer. Father, I know this hits us in, in a number of different ways. This, we all have different lives, different paths. We all have different failures. That's just the nature of it. I pray that you would meet us this morning as we sing these few songs about how you paid for it, that you paid it all, that that we don't have to be defined by our failures anymore. Oh, God, that is so good. Help us to step into that. And then secondly, Lord, if, if we're able, I pray that you give some of us the wisdom to know the people who are bouncing and falling around us and that you give us the courage to take a step towards them and catch them. There's a song, we'll sing a song here in a couple of seconds called Mighty to Save. There's a line in it that goes, everyone needs compassion, the kindness of a Savior. Everyone needs forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be that compassion for others. And Lord, bring the message that we can be forgiven as we love where we live. Amen. Thank you.